Hello, everyone. This is Zunja Glass with Unlocking Greatness Podcast. Feel free to call me Z. Today, I want to talk about something that um, uh, has I've really been, in, in some ways, struggling with and uh, having to be reminded. And the topic is going to be, who's driving? In other words, who's in the driver's seat? So I have this, I don't know what you want to call it, sort of a stern wheel I kind of put together. Uh, and just imagine, um, and for those who are listening to the podcast, I'm holding up a, um, a stern wheel. Uh, just imagine if you're driving a car, right? Uh, imagine you being an expert driver and you know where you're going. You know your destination, right? You know all of the detours, all of the potholes, uh, all of the roadblocks. So, so you're pretty familiar with this journey ahead. And you know what you got to do to get there and get there safely. But can you imagine, let me turn it this way. Can you imagine if every single time you come to a turn or a roadblock or a pothole, someone in the back seat is grabbing the steering wheel, you know, uh, because they're panicking. They're worrying. They're stressing about what's going to happen. And even though you're the expert driver, when it's when it's time to make that detour, they're literally reaching over you or trying to push you out of the seat. And they're 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 literally grabbing the steering wheel and they're trying to take control of it because they're scared. They're worried. They're stressed. You know, they like you. They trust you the majority of the time. But, you know, when you're on that bridge or when you're coming down off of that ramp or, or and there's a pothole or something right there, they feel that they've got to jump in and just take control really quickly. Not really realizing sometimes they make it worse because they're not trusting who's in that driver's seat. You know, God gave me this demonstration um, because I think for a moment it was what I was feeling. Uh, just with the situation going on in my life. Um, I don't want to go through the details, but you guys know I've been, you know, going through some things. And, um, oh, my goodness, I just wish I could share more details. But we just uh, have a family member that I love and adore uh, who's just going through some things. And sometimes we get news that are not favorable. And and uh, I can easily jump into that driving seat and uh, start worrying and stressing. But for the purpose of this demonstration, um, and I have a passage I want to share with you guys as well. But for the purpose of this demonstration, I want you guys to just think about that for a moment. When, when we jump in and, you know, grab the steering wheel and, 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 and try to take it out of the hands of the person driving the car or even push that person out of the seat and try to take over, that's kind of who we are when we don't trust the will of God in our lives. When we don't really trust um, who's really in control and who's really running things. You know, um, this past weekend, um, I'm going to put this stern wheel down now, so I don't know if it'll still be short on camera or not, but I just want to sit it down and grab my Bible. But this past weekend, um, I went to visit my mom's gravesite, And uh, it always um, touches me greatly when I go and spend time with my mom. Um, it's a nice little journey for me. It's a nice little trip because um, she's not buried in the same state that I live in. And I always come back a different person from when I've sat at her gravesite for a while. And I go there and I sit and I, you know, I, I, I normally take flowers and put some flowers around her site and clean it up a little bit and do some little cute things. And um, 
I guess I like going there and doing that because um, it just reminds me so much of how I need to be surrendered to God in everything. And I'm going to do another podcast, and I think I'm going to call it Who Are You? Um, because it also reminds me so much of who I am in God. And, and I, I won't go on that note. Let me, try to, let me just kind of dial it back a little bit and stay on this end in terms of being surrendered to God. Today I want to kind of focus on just being surrendered to God. Because I had to, when I got back from visiting my mom's gravesite, I had to really sit down and make a commitment to be surrendered to God in some areas of my life where I so desperately want God to move this way and not that way. Um, and I had to have a very forward talk with God about that. And I won't share the details, at least not right now. I don't think it's appropriate, but it just dawned on me. Oh my goodness. I'm trying to jump back in the driver's seat. I'm really not surrendered in this area. Like I thought I was. And for me, and I don't know, you guys may be a little different, but for me, a test of being surrendered, at least for me is it doesn't keep me up through the night where I'm stressing about it. You know, waking up and my heart's racing and I'm just so worried and concerned that something's going to happen that's out of my control, especially in this situation, you know, with someone that I love so dearly. And I've really had to wrestle and spend some time meditating, sitting with God. It's helped me tremendously, which is why I want to bring this lesson to you all. I literally sit down. A lot of times I sit in my closet, but lately the last two, three nights, I sit on my floor in my room. I open up the windows. I turn off all the lights. I light a candle and I literally just have a conversation with God as I'm looking out the window um, at the moon. And so that's just what's been working for me the last couple nights. But I've literally been sitting and just meditating and talking to him and just picturing him right there with me and saying, God, I'm just surrendering it all to you. Let your will be done. Not my will, but yours. Reminds me of a passage in Matthew 6, 27 that says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Remember that we talked through Matthew 6, I want to say 25 through 33 is the entire passage. That's one of my mother's used to be my mother's favorite passage. And I, um, and, and one of the verses, let me see, I think it's 30 verse, uh, oh, I wouldn't plan on turning here, but I think it is verse 30. Give me something. Hold on a second here. There's one part in here where it talks about um, not worrying about tomorrow because each day has enough trouble of his own. Oh, so it's in verse um, 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And sometimes I just have to recite that and recite that and understand that I can't be trying to take over the steering wheel. I can't be because we're coming to a hard turn, because we're coming to a pothole, because we're coming to a detour, feeling that I really got to help God out here um, and I got to jump into this driver's seat. And I do that by worrying or stressing about something, you know? Um, and, and so hopefully that's making sense, but there's a passage I wanted to read to you guys. It's not really a passage. It's a story I want to talk about. Um, again, for those who are new on this channel, um, I'm not a minister. I know some of my viewers get upset when I say that, but I have to repeat that because new people come in every day by the grace of God. Um, this podcast has really been growing. Oh my goodness. That's a whole nother subject I'll talk about. Uh, in another post, maybe uh, later this week or next week. But 
Um, I have to let the newer people know I am nobody's minister. I'm not a pastor. I'm not some, I don't know, prophetess or whatever. I am just a simple woman that loves God. And I, I feel that I'm on an assignment. And for whatever reason, uh, about five or so months ago, give or take five or so months ago, uh, God put in my heart, I need you to just share with people simply how I'm moving in your life and just share your relationship with them, with me, with, with others. And so um, I love my Bible. Um, I've been a Christian for many, many years, and I've been in Bible studies with the elders and ministers and people at my church for many years. And I want to talk about something that um, we've been going over. We've been spending months on the book of First and Second Samuel, literally months um, at my church. And one of the things I didn't realize, and I'm just going to, I'm going to, oh my goodness, I'm going to do my best to fly through this. It's so, it's hard to fly through this because there's so much juice in this. Um, I want to give you the nature of the story, but are you guys aware that uh, King David had a lot of kids? Hopefully you, you, you're aware of that. Um, but are you aware of the story between uh, Amnon, that's A-M-N-O-N, and Tamar? Tamar was his sister. Um, so if you jump to second Samuel chapter 13, now, again, I'm going to fly through this a little bit, but I'm going to pause when I come to the point I want to make about David being fully surrendered. David went through some things that I was not aware of. And even though I love my Bible, and if you, if you could look at it, I don't even know if I can turn it around for you to see it. I mean, it's marked up like you just wouldn't believe, um, highlighted everywhere. Sometimes I just forget some of the things I've read. I don't know why, but this story just did not resonate with me until we've spent the last several several weeks going through it through my church but anyway in second samuel 13 i'm just going to fly through this part um it says in the course of time amnon son of david fell in love with tamar the beautiful sister of absalom son of david so the nutshell in chapter 13 and and you guys can go and read it is um uh uh Amnon said this is in verse four uh i'm in love with tamar my brother absalom's sister and um, and and then he basically devised a scheme to get her to come and bring him something. I'm just giving you the shortest version. And um, uh, he ended up taking advantage of her. Uh, and it was a very, very sad story in terms of what happened. And you can feel free to read that entire story through. And so she was um, tremendously violated. And so she went back to her brother, uh, uh, who was at... Um, uh, Absalom and told him what happened. So now, uh, so Absalom then devised a scheme to have his brother um, killed. And uh, so in, in the second part of chapter 13, um, Absalom was so upset. And that's a whole nother Bible study. I don't even want to get into that one about uh, why David, the father, didn't intervene at that time. That's a whole nother subject about how we need to be dealing with issues when they come up. But for the sake of where I'm going, Absalom um, devised a scheme to have his brother killed. So uh, uh, he then ended up fl uh, fleeing and going away. So here David is just like completely just torn by all of this, right? You, you got kids. One of them took advantage of the other one. And then you've got one of the brothers that ended up killing the other one. So just imagine that. So when I, in, in chapter 14, Absalom then returned to Jerusalem. And um, uh, you can read all that through. But basically, uh, in chapter 14, and I'll just start in verse 25, in all Israel, there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. So he was looking good, right? And he basically, in chapter 15, charmed the people of Israel to basically start following him and trusting him and, and really uh, uh, hating on his father. 
um, saying, you know, uh, basically resolving their issues and being all charming to all the people. And mind you, he was really nice and handsome. And so he was so uh, upset and, and uh, with his dad. Um, and so I don't even know. I don't, I don't know if the word is jealous, hateful, whatever it was. He just absolutely was very, very upset with his father. Um, I got, I have a feeling it absolutely had something to do with that situation, but it also had to do with his pride. But bottom line is in chapter 15, um, it goes on to talk about, um, I'll just read a passage or two in here. Um, I wouldn't plan on reading this part through, but in, in, in verse two, it said this, they're talking about Absalom. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him. What town are you from? Uh, he would answer, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say, look, your, 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 your claims are valid and proper, but there's no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, hmm, if only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me. So he's beginning to be scheming, you know, he's scheming and doing some things at this point. And it goes on and on to talk about uh, in verse six, uh, how he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So just follow me a second. I I am leading up to something with this, but you got to kind of know the backdrop and where it's leading up to. So uh, they began to follow him. They began to basically say, hey, you should be the king you know, for lack of better words. And then it got to a point in chapter 15, verse 13. I don't know why. I don't know, you guys. I just didn't remember this story. Um, And I'm glad that at my church we've spent weeks digesting this paragraph by paragraph. Um, David fled. We're talking David. David was one of the most you know biggest warriors and 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 had victory after victory he's king over Israel uh it got to a point where David fled um in in chapter 15 verse 13 it says a messenger came and told David the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom uh-oh they ain't with you no more they with your son then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem come we must flee or none of us will escape from Absalom so that he's running from his own son We must leave immediately or or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin upon us and put the city to the sword. So basically they took off running. And um, uh, you can read on in that chapter 15 about how they basically literally evacuated. Here's where I want to pause because this is something that one of the teachers of the elders at my church was pointing out to us. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this is so good for my soul. In verse 25, I'm still in chapter 15. Um, Then the king said to Zadok, take the ark of God. This is David saying, take the ark of God back into the city. If I find faith. So mind you, they're fleeing. Keep that in mind. Fleeing for their lives because he didn't know Absalom basically was getting all the people to basically start calling him king and saying, hey, we want you instead of your daddy. You, you, You handsome, you good looking, you solve our issues, you cool. So, and we're talking King David. We're talking King David wrote the Psalms. We're talking King David defeat Goliath. We're talking King David, a battle warrior. Okay, so he's fleeing. So in verse 25, it says, Then the, uh, the king, David, said to Zadok, Take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it in his dwelling place again. But if he says, he's speaking of God, But if he says, I'm not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. 
I hope that you guys catch what I just read. David was still giving honor to God in surrendering at one of the lowest points in his life. He was putting his hand, his, his life in the hands of God. He knew that this was God's kingdom all along. And basically what he's saying is whatever God wants to do, if it seems good to him, then let him do it. Now, David could have easily at that point turned around, gathered some men and tried to do something to take his son out. You know, like you're not taking my place who you think you are. In verse 30, this, this tells a little bit more about David's heart. But David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and he was barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads too and were weeping as they went up. And again, read more of the story. I'm trying to browse through it because I still got some more to talk about. But they're fleeing at this point, weeping. Then it gets to a point in chapter 16, verse 5, which I found this to be just beyond amazing. Um, uh as King David approached Barium, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out there. And then I'm dropping to verse six. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones. Though all the troops and special guard were on David's right and left. And he began to curse, you know, telling them to get out, get out, you know, calling them all kind of names and, and saying things about David. And his... David's, uh, I guess you can say soldiers was like, should we just cut this man's head off? Like, this is ridiculous. And David, listen to David's response in verse 10. But the king said, what do you and I have in common? Uh, he says, if he is cursing because the Lord said to him, curse David, who can ask, why do you do this? Then David went on to say, my son, who is my own flesh, is trying to take over my life. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will see my distress and repay me with good for the cursing I'm receiving today. So David and his men continued on the road while Shemai was going along the hillside opposite him. So you got this man going opposite him, cursing as he went, throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. We're talking about the king of Israel, you guys. The king and all his people with them arrived at their destinations exhausted. So I want to just pause there for a second. These are the little times in the Bible when I would just kind of read through something really quickly and don't really let it soak in. But um, b because of um, me just being able to be in these classes with uh, the, the people that teach the elders and ministers and people at my church, um, we spend so much time on this, uh, understanding what was really happening here. David was at his lowest point. You ever been at your lowest point? When he easily could have lashed out. And David, at his lowest point, was actually at his highest point. You talk about stress. You talk about things being out of control. You talk about unexpected circumstances. You talk about being stabbed in the back. You talk about being betrayed. 
You talk about being down. You talk about, you know, not even knowing your left from your right or where you're going to go and you're fleeing and you're barefoot and you have someone throwing stones at you. And of all people, your own blood is over this. And you have the audacity to trust God and to be surrendered and to even basically say, in a nutshell, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe this man is sent from God to do this and maybe God will repay me for what I'm going through right now. But it's the, if, if, if it's the Lord's will and whatever seems good to God, let him do it. <laughs> what I won't do is sit here and act as if I'm on a pedestal and I'm above this and I've already gained this lesson and I don't struggle with that. If I can't be authentic with you guys and there's no need in me being on camera, you know, there's no need in me doing this podcast and talking about this. This is some deep stuff. And this is what I'm working on in my relationship with God that no matter what happens, to trust that God knows what he's doing. And if God allowed this situation to happen, let me just stand and let God be God in my life. Let me not remember this. Let me not jump over the seat and take over the stern wheel because I'm at a turn because there's a gigantic pothole ahead and I'm not trusting we'll survive that pothole. I'm not trusting that we'll, we'll, we'll we really should be taking this detour. And why is there a roadblock? Like, I'm not sure. So I'm jumping over and trying to take control. And for those who are just listening and not watching the video, I have the stern wheel back in my hand at this point. David set an amazing example. Now, I'm just going to try to fly through the rest real quick because I could just sit here, to be honest with you guys, I could sit here all day on these chapters, especially seeing that we've sat in it for months and really go in a lot deeper than anyway. Let me just let me just keep it going a little bit. First of all, those are the main two points in here that I wanted to pull out. But look at how amazing God is. So if you read on a little bit further and again, read it yourself, uh, get into it, um, go on into uh, uh, chapter 17. The shortest version that I can give you is an advisor uh, that was an advisor to David. He basically advised Absalom. Um, here's what I would do. I would, I would choose 12,000 men and set out tonight in pursuit of David. I would attack him when he's uh, weary and when he's weak and I'll strike him and I'll do blah, 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 blah. Right. Then some other, uh, some other person who Absalom should not have been taking advice from, but God allowed it to happen. So check this out. You in your weakest moment, you out there, uh, in no man's land at this point with a few committed soldiers and people, you don't even have food or nothing. And you don't even know that God is on the other side of that mountain constructing and doing something that's going to pull you out. And you don't even know it. I'm going to get to it in one second. Just let me marinate on this one point. David, in fact, let me jump first. Let me jump first because then I'll, I'll, I'm going to come back to this. We're in chapter 17, but jump to verse 27 because basically they're out there with just about nothing. But in verse 27, it basically talks about when David came to, I can't pronounce it, Mahanaim, 
Shobai, son of Namasha from Ramah of the Amorites. And it goes on to give his description who he is. And I made a little note here from my, my Bible study I was in. He was almost like a governor of, of Amman, uh, recognized um, that God was with David. And even though David had conquered them, they respected David and believed um, that he was the anointed of God. So they actually could have killed him, but God moved in their hearts to help him. So I'm in verse 27. So check this out. Out of nowhere, you're out here barefoot, dusty, hurt from stones, your son trying to take you out. You've surrendered everything to God. Out of nowhere, verse 27, this person comes alone and they bought bedding, bowls. I'm in verse 28 in chapter 17. Articles of pottery. They also bought wheat and barley, flour, roasted grain, beans, lentils, honey, curd, sheep, uh, cheese, cow uh, from cow's milk and for David and his people to eat. For they said the people have become hungry and tired and thirsty in the desert. I know y'all may get tired of me crying sometimes, but I just feel it so much in my spirit when I'm talking about things in the Bible, because I really do believe the Bible is useful for today and in our lives. Draw that picture, if you will, for a moment. David is out here in the desert with just about nothing. God moves in someone's heart, by the way, that he had actually taken over their whole land and did some things, but that, but they knew that he was the anointed of God. And they risked their lives, if you think about it, to go bring them all of that stuff and take care of them. God fed them and took care of them in the desert. Now let's back up to the beginning of 17. In the meantime, his son, who's trying to kill him, instead of taking some sound advice, God moves in his heart to basically take some bad advice. (laughs) So some guy in verse seven, I'm still in chapter 17. I'm in verse seven. Who's shy. He comes along and he basically convinces him, hey, the guy that told you to do this and that, don't do that. He said, you know, your father's an expert uh, fighter. Um, And he says, we're not going to go that way. We're going to do it this way. I'm just going to leave it at that. You can read it all through because I could just dive into this and keep you guys on this podcast for about an hour, two hours easily. Um, And I don't want to do that. So, uh, In verse, um, where is it at? Uh, 14, I'm still in chapter 17. Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the advice of Hushai, the archite, is better than the advice of, I don't know how to pronounce this, Atopel. For the Lord has determined to frustrate, listen to this. For the Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of uh, Athnophel in order to bring disaster on Absalom. Listen to that, you guys. Whoever's going through something right now and you feel you don't see or hear God and you don't know what he's doing in your life and you out here in a desert And you feel betrayed. You feel you've been talked about. 
you've been stabbed in the back. Um, you feel you have, or you may feel you have nothing, or maybe you have something, but you can't trust nobody. And you know God's provided, but you still don't know which direction it's going to go because from your point, nothing looks right. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. After all, I'm in the middle of the desert with I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people David had with him, but I know it was a whole lot more coming against him. God already showed favor by having some man who you defeated in the past. Just keep that in mind. Show you favor. And while David is going through this, I got to read that again. At chapter 17, verse 14. For the Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of, At, uh, of Atnaphel in order to bring disaster on Absalom. God was working on his behalf the whole time. Bottom line is his son took some bad advice. Bottom line is they went up against David, the man of God. You can go on into chapter 18. Bottom line is David still grieved and loved his son and didn't want any harm to come to him. In fact, uh, David said um, um, uh, in, in, in chapter 18, verse, uh, come on, come on, come on, come on. Uh, I feel like I'm rushing a little bit and I don't want to have to rush. In chapter 18, David said the king commanded Joab, and some other people be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake he didn't want them to kill his son um and, and basically they they met up they started fighting I'm just trying to go through the 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 shortest version of it and his son was killed they basically didn't follow David's advice they like no we we taking him out and then it just goes on to talk about how David just grieved in fact uh there's a point in here where David was such an amazing man of God um, he went up, uh, it says, uh, in verse 33 in chapter uh, 18, the king was shaking. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. And he says, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. So even after everything that happened, David still had a heart of, Lord, take me, not him. You know, he, he didn't, you know, it just blows my mind how David's heart was in all of this. So, of course, David was restored back to his position. And, you know, you can read chapter 19 and, and read how David returned back to Jerusalem and everything was all good, at least for that moment. But you get my point. Um, I know I took a while reading through this, um, but I hope that little gem has inspired you to get back in your scriptures and to read um, how David responded when uh, his back was up against the wall. When he didn't see any way out. And when his own blood relative was coming after him. And how not only God provided, because David was fully surrendered. Had David made a different move? Had David taken control of that stern wheel and done some different things and not surrendered to God? I don't know how this story would have turned out. I like to believe God still would have worked it out, but you know, I don't know. But I thank God for the example he set. So I want to end this just by asking you, who's driving? I'm asking myself that too. I'm no better. So please don't put me on a pedestal. I'm no better. Who's driving? Can you be fully surrendered to him and trust him? Can you stop grabbing the wheel uh, when a big detour roadblock comes up ahead? Can, can, we, can we leave our father in the driver's seat and trust that he knows what he's doing? Even when we are completely afraid and scared 
and praying and hoping so much that he comes through in certain areas. Can we stay in the back seat and let our father continue driving? And that's something that I would love for you guys to think about and pray about. I'm praying about it. Meditate about. Put it before God. Anyway, love you all. Uh, if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe to my channel. Please feel free to share these messages to encourage other people to hang on, to not give up. And uh, I just pray that this encourages you as I'm pouring my heart out to you guys. I'm hurting so bad um, in, a, in certain areas of my life. Uh, it actually is a joy for me to be able to come on and just really, to be honest, share my Bible study with you guys um, and hopefully inspire you as I get through the process as I'm going through as well. But I love you guys. You guys are the best community ever. You have uplifted me more than you know, and I pray that I'm encouraging you right now. Love you. This is Z with Unlocking Greatness Podcast. Bye-bye.